This is Nick Gregory, background painter for Disney Publishing, painter at the Walt Disney Museum, and professional wrestler. You're listening to the Amazing Stories of the Magic podcast. Welcome to Stories of the Magic, an unofficial Disney podcast with your host, Randy Crane. Hear stories from Disney cast members, Imagineers, artists, and more right here on Stories of the Magic. And now, here's your host, Randy Crane. Welcome to episode 132 of Stories of the Magic. I'm Randy, your host. Thank you for joining me. If you're new to Stories of the Magic, we are a positive and story-filled Disney podcast offering stories from cast members, Imagineers, artists, actors, and more, including guests, promoting a mutual love of Disney, celebrating and preserving the Disney magic and legacy, and inspiring people to live their dreams just as Walt Disney did. If that appeals to you or piques your curiosity, you're definitely in the right place, and I'm glad you're here. Today, we conclude our two-part interview with Disney publishing background painter Nick Gregory. In part one, we talked about his artistic influences, how he got into the animation industry, his upcoming projects, and much more. If you haven't listened to that one yet, you definitely need to hear it before this one, or some of what we talk about this time won't make any sense. Now in this episode, Nick talks about more of his artistic influences, the similarities and differences between creating music, visual art, and being a pro wrestler, his wrestling persona, his favorite comic book characters, and then we go a bit off-topic about stuff with superheroes, loving Disney from the other side of the world, working to make his dream come true, what inspires him, seeing colors uniquely, if he could have any job working for Disney, what it would be and why, Fantasia 2000, the movie, his advice to you for following your dreams, and of course, shameless plug time. Now a brief word from a fellow podcaster and friend, and then it's time to turn the page and continue this story. Have you ever experienced uncontrollable bouts of geekdom? If so, the Anomaly podcast may be right for you. In clinical studies, Anomaly's interviews, convention reports, commentary on geek culture, games, sci-fi and fantasy television, literature, and film provided a feeling of fullness while promoting health for optimal geekiness. The Anomaly podcast is not suitable for all people. Only geekily active cool chicks with a healthy sense of humor should listen. Geekily active cool guys should listen too. Anomaly has resulted in sudden fits of squee. Broad smiles may appear without warning and could become permanent. The most common side effects of Anomaly are unconsciously joining in the Gamma Quadrant Golf Clap out loud, at work, to the amusement of co-workers, and attempting to interject opinions aloud to hosts who can't hear the listener. But in all cases, the benefits outweigh the risks. Ask your Anomaly if you're healthy enough for entertainment of this caliber. You don't need a doctor's messy handwriting to obtain a free subscription. Anomaly is available over-the-counter at Stitcher Radio and in the iTunes, Zune, and BlackBerry stores. You can also stream episodes of Anomaly and Anomaly Supplemental at AnomalyPodcast.com. That's A-N-O-M-A-L-Y Podcast.com. 
Just one one-hour episode provides 24 hours of relief and never leaves a bad taste in your mouth. Music by JewelBeat.com And now, this week's interview on Stories of the Magic. Is another one of those films that really is a visually beautiful film, and you don't even realize when you're watching it. I don't think yeah, that so much of the detail is not in the background. Like he does such a great job suggesting it that you just fill it in, and if someone tells you something's not there, you don't believe them. I've had that happen yeah. to me. Someone tells me a certain piece. I can't remember any specific examples, but they say something isn't there, and I, I'm just sure it is. And I have to go back and look, and they're right. Whatever I thought was there, he suggested through what he had done and i was convinced yeah exactly yeah same for me too um it was a while between viewings of that film and i remember the last time i watched it the same thing i was convinced that i saw like a full forest behind a certain scene or i saw uh, an animal or i saw a particular heavy bit of lighting somewhere uh and then you watch it again and you're amazed that it's just the suggestion of things like it almost feels like that he's just simply put like a thumb stroke of pastel or something on the page and somehow magically you get the feeling that it's shining through trees and leaves and uh, just genius. And if I even get close to that stage uh, in my career of being able to do things that simplistically, but have them work that well, um, even once I'd be happy. If I, if I nail that in some paintings, like I always go, Oh my God, I did a Tyrus Wong. <laughs> and it just makes my day. So yeah, he's, he's always going to be one of my favorites. And, and I, I cherish watching uh, the Bambi films, films um, not too often. I watch them every couple of years. So that, that new feeling of going, oh, I noticed something different always comes back. Right. Okay. Any other influences that you want to mention? Sure. Uh, I, think, I think Mary Blair had an influence on color choices. This is, this is all Disney related too. And I'll give you some non-Disney ones too. But sure. Mary Blair, definitely color. I mean, if anyone's gone through the, the small world ride uh, and you see how the color choices are made in each different land, it's just, it's just perfect. And that shone through in nearly everything she did. It was just genius. So I think that's something that caught my attention as I started learning more about making art for animation, as I was studying more of the artists and stuff. Not that I didn't know her work or was a fan, but um, like five, six years ago when I pushed even harder to get here, uh, just looking at her color, I think particularly, um, and I love her artwork, but that color is just amazing. It's so good. And, and again, like Ivan Earl, I think there's so many animation artists that will reference her and Tyrus as well. Uh, outside of animation, um, I, I do like, it's, it's weird because I've had such a weird like path to animation and I, I went through graphic design as well. It was weird for me that I wasn't like a lot of people who had the college education where they know the names of all these artists, they know exactly the painting they like, they study them, they replicate them. For me, it was this weird mix of like wrestling and then looking like when I was a hip hop artist and, and graphic designing, I'd look at like posters and I'd look at how things were constructed, simple shapes, um, color theory, like what worked best to get people's attention. So sometimes I feel like I was missing something in influence outside of animation, um, like animation artists. But I think I was always looking at things differently and I got my influences from being out in the world and like being in an alleyway, going to a, a hip hop show and looking at like all the bad posters on the wall and like picking up on design and shapes and color. 
I think that's kind of influenced me more than maybe like particular artists. Like I, I'm, I'm got a couple that I could probably think of if I could rack my brain again, but I'm just like forgetting a lot of the names now. But I always know that looking just at the world has got me like, that's kind of been my influence. And it's weird. Like I, I know everybody quotes different artists, but I guess that's the thing of, of liking environments more than characters for me. Like looking at the world is kind of my influence. Yeah, I could see that. And I can see how that would be what draws you most. Yeah. So. yeah. Especially with all the, with the weird stuff I've done. How can you not be influenced when you're out in like a wrestling <laughs> ring looking at, it's crazy like to see the characters and the, the get-ups and the lighting. And, and I did that sometimes twice a week for like half a year. And, um, and how could like being on a hip hop stage and, and being surrounded by, like I was always surrounded by advertising posters for these gigs and stuff. And, um, that was a huge thing. And I think all those colors and shapes and just those experiences were kind of invaluable. Like it's a different way of looking at things than just, I guess, studying art, which I've done, but, uh, I think I cherish those a lot more. Sure. In fact, as you mentioned the, the previous careers that you'd had with wrestling and the uh, hip hop music mm-hmm. that just suddenly sparks a possibly strange question. But when you were creating hip hop music and then creating printed uh, or your physical visual art now, maybe visual is the best word out of those choices. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's still creative processes in both cases. So in what ways are they similar and in what ways are they different from each other? Oh, that's a good question. That's actually something that I almost seem to tell people once I get to know people and get into conversations about my past careers. Um, I always try to reiterate to them that ever since I was a kid, everything creative is what gets my attention. So whether that's not that I've done it, but whether it's acting or whether it's uh, creating like fine dining meals or something. Um, like being creative is what I want to do yet animation has been the leading thing for me. So going to hip hop is just about creating music and sounds and telling my stories. Um, then going to the wrestling, that's one that people don't seem to look at as creatively, but I'm like, it's, it was super creative. You get to go out there and create a match, just like someone putting on a, a like a ballet show or a dancer would like, you perform, uh, you have to act a little, you have to be safe at the same time. I mean, you, the whole time you get to be creative, uh, you create your look and your gimmick, uh, the character and the persona you're going to be. <clears throat> so it, to me that all that stuff is exactly what feeds into, um, like 2d art or like making art in general, like, um, visuals for, for anything, animation or just you know, an art gallery wall those life experiences of other creative things is what feeds me. So that they, to me, they're almost the same. Like if I sit down and and do a picture, um, I'm thinking about all the influences from like my crazy adventures and like a million stories and, and all the things I've got to do in those. And I I feel like they're almost sometimes identical to me. Like if someone sits me down and says, okay, come up with an idea for a theme park picture or do this, I'm straight into all the other creative things I did. Um, so again, I guess it's a weird, it's a, it's a different way of looking at things um, compared to other artists, but they were just as creative and I loved every one of them for that reason. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you mentioned your wrestling persona and gimmick and things. I don't think mm-hmm. we've talked about what was yours. Okay, so my name was Nick XL, N-I-C and XL, like extra large. 
Uh, again, you can YouTube that if you want. Um, we will. I promise. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, the funny thing was when I got into wrestling, I was into comic books um, and I was also drawing stuff. So another creative outlet for me for, for comic books. Um, and when I thought about getting into it, I was like, this is like becoming a superhero. And do you know the moment from the Spider-Man, I think the first Spider-Man film where he's in his bedroom and he's got his sketch pad out and he's creating uh, like the mask and the outfit and everything. I did that. Like I was in my bedroom sitting there going, Oh my God, I'm doing like the Spider-Man movie thing and I'm getting to create a mask and a persona. And just that one moment was, was worth like the whole career doing it. Um, like that was so creative and, and fun and uh, just exciting to come up with like another person you're going to be like, you're not just going to act it out for like a film or TV. This is going to be you for as long as you can do it for. Um, and yeah, the, the persona itself was kind of like a street thug. Like I was from a pretty crappy neighborhood. Um, so I thought I'll, I'll take that on board. And even though I'm, I, I think I'm a fairly nice person, I was like, no, okay, I'll, I'll use that and feed off where I grew up. And uh, I just kind of built it up to a point where I was the guy that, would pick on the bigger guys. Like I'm five foot eight, five, nine. I'm not huge. I was very muscular then, but it still didn't make a difference when you're fighting guys that are near seven foot tall and like 400 pounds. Um, and I was the idiot that would go <laughs> up to them and say, Oh, come and fight me and take me on it. So I was, I think I was a little cocky. And then just at the very end of my career, I started pushing the boundaries of my characters. So, um, I do some of the, I like freestyle rap and entrance and pick on the person. This was before John Cena was doing it too. Um, and then sometimes I'd come out in ridiculous gear because, you know, the more ridiculous you look, uh, the more chance you have to get booked again. You might make more money on your merchandise, which is how I made any money out of wrestling. Uh, and I'd come out in light up gear and because I kind of tinkered with all the creative stuff, you know, my, my boots would light up. Um, there'd be a voice activated uh, light up mechanism on my chest. So the louder the, the crowd screamed and hated me the more I would glow in the, in the crowd when I walked around. So I had a lot of fun with it. It was a hell of a fun experience. <laughs> yeah. I don't think it would be fun for me, but I could certainly understand how it would be fun for some people. Yeah, I, I was, uh, I had a weird pain threshold. So getting punched and, and bumped around and stuff, I kind of got through it. Um, but I, I look back now as I'm getting a little older and I'm like, how the hell did I do that? Like that, that was tough. Um, it's not for everybody, but, but it's definitely fun. Yeah. So you use comic books as kind of some of your influence for that. Any favorite comics or comic characters? Oh, absolutely. Uh, the first one that got me was Blade the Vampire Hunter. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I thought that was fantastic. E even the, I think the one I first read was from the early 90s. Uh, the artwork wasn't that great. But it was just this kind of gritty, like street-based story. Like it happened on, I guessing New York style area, um, and it, I just kind of saw that. Like I didn't see vampires in my world, but I saw that outside, like my window. Like it was a little gritty, and and I related to that. So that that's always been a favorite. I've collected Blade comics since I was a kid, and then I went back to his original series that he appeared in, which was Tomb of Dracula. Um, and it's a black and white series and it's absolutely fantastic. I own every edition of that in a box back home in Australia, unfortunately, but I'll have it shipped over one day. Um, 
yeah, any comic book fan should read Tomb of Dracula. It's, it's, it's done so well. The artwork's beautiful. Um, and the writing's great. Uh, Marv Wolfman, the guy that wrote it, I got to meet him and, and, and geek out a bit. So, yeah. <laughs> Very cool. Yeah, I, I don't usually hear Blade as a favorite character, but he is a really intriguing character. Very interesting, very unusual compared to the others and still very much a hero within yeah. the confines of what he has to face. Yeah, definitely. I, I found that interesting. Like that was, I think that's how a lot of people feel growing up in, in a place that maybe isn't the nicest sometimes. Like you, you're still a good person, but you see these, you know, sometimes weird things happen. And, and yeah, I related to that. And yeah, what a cool character. Um, I think that character will be around for years. Like maybe not as huge as you know, Wolverine or the incredible Hulk, which are two of my other favorites, but uh, yeah, definitely a great character. Yeah, Wolverine is one of my favorites as well. So, oh, how can he not be? Like, I, if you're a comic book nerd and you hate Wolverine, then you're just weird. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> have you ever read? This is completely off topic, but have you ever read or seen? Uh, there was a really brief series. I don't remember when they did it. That Marvel and DC teamed up on, and they did sort of hybrid characters of a DC and a Marvel character. And there's one that's, I believe, called. Uh, dark claw or dark cowl something like that that is a combination of batman and wolverine oh someone has mentioned that to me before they, they didn't know the name so i've never known i, I mean I, I don't know why i've never googled it to be honest but i'm gonna google it, it right now while we're talking oh please do like do, do, did you ever read it did you see it or i've seen it but i haven't had a chance to actually read it i've seen some of the art from it but haven't had a chance to read the whole thing oh I, as soon as we we're finished here i'm going to ebay and I'm finding what that is because that to me is one of the, like, I mean, you're taking two of the best characters from the two biggest companies and merging them together. I'm like, I want to see if that works. Yeah. Dark That's Claw really cool. is the name. Dark Claw. Yeah. I'm, I'm actually writing that down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm a huge comic book fan. That actually is the one thing that when I tried in my life, um, I didn't like doing the same character over and over, which is weird because in animation, the same thing happens. But I'm in environments and backgrounds, so I don't have to worry about that. But yeah, I've always loved comic books. It's always my, uh, my, my go-to thing if I just want to relax. And, and there's tons of stores in uh, LA here too, which is great. Oh yeah, there definitely are. Yeah. And I kind of feel like talking about Blade and Wolverine both kind of have that almost anti-hero quality mm -hmm. to them. But then you, you had mentioned kind of reenacting or living out that Spider-Man piece. And he grows up in a pretty rough neighborhood too. So it's like, if things go your way, you're Spider-Man. If they don't, you're Blade or possibly Wolverine. Yeah. Wow. I never thought about it that way. And I, the thing is too, since, since the popularity of Spider-Man or Wolverine, um, I know that inner turmoil and uh, there always needs to be a bit, a bit of, something bad has to happen to a character to make the story like appealing. I think, um, I think that's why Marvel just like killed it with their characters for 20, 30 years. Um, they, they've all seemed to have a little element of that, even if things kind of go well for them. Um, and it's, it's so interesting. Like, yeah, you just Spider-Man, Blade, Wolverine, Incredible Hulk, Batman, um, just great stories. They'll be around forever. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, they are our, modern day folk tales in some cases even maybe not so much this for some of them but in some ways even some modern day fairy tales 
Oh, absolutely. Uh, especially for this generation. I mean, film is such a, an effective medium to, to get into people's minds that people growing up now with these great uh, comic book movies, um, they're going to be influenced by all these characters. So yeah, most definitely. Yeah. I mean, my, my, my wife was never much of a comic book or superhero fan, mm-hmm. but we've seen almost all of the Marvel Cinematic Universe films. And the only ones we haven't are because we have a two and a half year old daughter and it's hard to have time to watch a movie. Okay. But I don't even know what it was that persuaded her. Maybe just the trailer made her curious to see Iron Man mm-hmm. and she was hooked. And yeah. Yeah. How could you not be there's, there's such great stories. And I mean, the, the characters look amazing and there's a, there's a whole different world that you can, as an artist, you can create for these movies and the, the comic books. Um, they're, they're so good. And I think that's, the reason it's my go-to for me to relax. Um, it's something I'm not ever going to try again. It, it took me its so much time to do it. I wasn't quick at it. So yeah, it, it's such a great thing. I love comic books, especially <laughs> the movies. It's such a great time for that too. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. So. Okay, well, we've kind of wandered pretty far afield and, <laughs> and covered a, a lot of ground, which is great. I love that. We got uh, nerdy there. <laughs> we really did. <laughs> Possibly more than I have on most of these shows, and that is more than fine with me. Excellent. Uh, <laughs> so is there anything related to either your work for Disney or your love of Disney that we haven't talked about yet that I just didn't think to ask that you want to talk about? Um. I think for me, the two, two quick things, one will be that when I started the journey to get to the animation industry uh, and to get some level of work for Disney, which is, you know, for most animation artists, it's, uh, it's always a goal. Um, it, it, was, it was always in my mind that Disney feature was the place to go to, and it still is. It's, it's the spot that I, I want to be in my career at some point. But it's amazing how much influence um, that animation has on that rest of the company than the publishing departments and interactive and um, like Disneyland and Imagineering and all that. And seeing it from afar in Australia, you can get that information, but growing up, I didn't have the internet. I couldn't find out what careers were like and um, what jobs were in, in that company and how much they did. So being here now, uh, it's opened my eyes to, the amazing creative uh, potential that I could have in different divisions there. And it's such an incredible place to work. I think to, to be able to get to say, you know, if you're good enough, maybe you can be an Imagineer and and something you create is going to be in Disneyland Um, or, you know, something gets into the the feature department in the, in the films and, and, you know, the next person like myself sees it when they're 10 years old and their entire life is now changed forever. So to be here and be able to be close to getting those goals and to also be working on, on um, products and, and, and like stories that I grew up with, uh, that's amazing as a Disney fan. Like There's nothing better. And I know I'll get to do more because I'm a pretty driven person and as I add all these extra goals, I, I aim for them. And, but uh, yeah, it's, it's such a pleasure, it's like, especially being from the other side of the world, um, to be here and, and doing that, like living a, living a dream, so to speak. Uh, and the other thing is I didn't grow up with Disneyland. So to come here and be able to experience that finally and um, see the joy it has for people and how it influenced people the same way the animated films did for me, 
that's, that's a huge thing. It was a hell of an experience the first time I walked in there. Um, and, and when we moved here, but before we had a couch or a bed, we had four suitcases and, and no friends, but we still managed to get the little bit of money we had scraped together and we brought annual passes. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's such an amazing thing to be near that and influenced by it. Um, yeah, I've been a Disney fan for a long time, but to be in the middle of it, that's, that's huge. And, and animation in general, um, to be in the middle of it, like in LA, um, yeah, I, I kick myself every day. It's incredible. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, definitely making a dream come true and yeah, yeah. not sitting around and waiting for it to happen. I mean, you've put in the work to make it happen. Yeah. It's, I was talking to someone today about it and it's still, it still astonishes me that like I, each step I took, I wasn't thinking about the next one. I was like, okay, I'm going to get there. I'll take whatever's next. But yeah, just, we, we gave up our careers and our family and friends. And I mean, we, we went through our life savings and came here with, yeah, nothing. And you know, it was hard. And we, we were down to like our last, you know, I think $150 at one stage. Like we were a week away from going, okay, we, we gave it a good shot. So to, to be making it work, um, yeah, it's, 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 it surprises me every day. Not surprises me, but um, it, it astonishes me that, you know, that I keep doing that and, and I, I don't waver from it either. So I'm glad I've got that drive. I don't know where I got it from, but I'm not getting rid of it. <laughs> <laughs> Good. I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> so let's move into the kind of overall wrap-up questions and mm-hmm. we'll see how off track we get on these. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so what inspires you? You kind of already touched on that some, but yeah. more directly. Okay, so I guess I'll give you two answers to that. One is entertainment and art in the world obviously inspires me as it does with anyone in animation. Um, and, and seeing new films and techniques and Meeting the artists here, that's incredible. That inspires me. But for me, I guess the thing outside of just what I view and what I enjoy, um, it's, it's, I, don't, I think it's my adventures and, and my stories that I, I have now in my, in my memories. Like uh, when I go out into the world, crazy stuff happens. And, you know, I do, I do weird things and, and have fun doing it. And like I always aim for the big goals and, um, when you've got all the, all these memories in your head and you, I feel like I've lived three lives in one, uh, that inspires me. Like I, I don't have to look far for inspiration. I've got a, a billion stories and, and, and stuff that happens in my head every day and, um, just for things I've experienced. So I'm, I'm really lucky in that respect. Like I could sit down and, and create artwork based on something 10, 15 years ago that I haven't thought about. So yeah, I'm really lucky. My experiences are, are, are the thing. And I guess one other thing too is just, like I said before, environments. When I go outside, I see the world differently. Um, I see the, the colors differently and everything, and it's, it's weird, but I love it. I don't know if this is a good question to ask or not, but it occurs to me that you've mentioned a couple of times seeing color differently. Can you describe any more what that means, that you see color differently than most people or, or than sure. the way it usually is? Uh, I, I, I think the best way I can explain it is I've studied enough about like technical things about how to paint and so on for color. So I guess I see things differently for that reason. But before that, I would always say to my wife or friends or family that, Oh, look at that amazing deep purple in the mountains in the distance. 
and they would look over and go, what the hell are you talking about? It's gray. And I would always think, how can they not see how colorful that is? Or like when I look at a shadow on the ground, like from a distance under a tree somewhere or something, uh, again, friends and family would go, Oh, that's like gray or black. I'm like, how can you see that? Like I'm seeing blue and I'm seeing greens and like multiple colors there. And I don't think it's like an issue with my eyes or anything. <laughs> I hope not. But yeah, I, I pick that up easily. Um, and having not plain air painted until I think the start of last year it was, um, I, I think I picked it up quick enough because of the color, like forgetting technique. Uh, I was already seeing the world a, a different way and picking up those things. And I, I, I don't know why. I, I guess, I, like I said, I guess if I like the environments that much and they draw my attention, I'm looking at those more. So I guess that might be the, the reason it, it got to that place. Yeah, it could be. That makes sense. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> now, if you could have any job working for the Walt Disney Company, what would it be and why? And as I always tell people, you can make up a job if it doesn't really exist as long as it's not, say, you know, Emperor of Disney. So, short <laughs> of that. Um, that's easy. Visual development artist uh, at Disney Feature. That would be the... I mean, it is the goal for me. Um, you know, I've been influenced by so many of their films. And again, Fantasia, uh, the main one for me. So to be able to have an effect on any film that someone might look at the same way I did, uh, that's the ultimate. And, you know, anything from there, if I was to become an art director one day or something like that, that'd be a bonus. But the visual development artist, that's been something that I knew about since maybe late teenage years. Uh, I may not have chased it then, but I always thought it was like winning the lottery for me. Um, that that would be, if if I ever, you know, let me say that again. When I get to that stage, not if, I think I'm going to like fall over. It doesn't matter where I am and just start crying like a baby. Like it's <laughs> going to be a weird moment. I hope I'm not out in public. <laughs> um, yeah, that would be a little awkward. Yeah, but uh, that's definitely the, the, the key goal for me. And I'll, and I'll get there. I'm a pretty driven person, so I'm looking forward to it. And, and I wouldn't uh, shy away from uh, any other role. I mean, the, the TV division, uh, Imagineering, like as I'm getting into electronics and, and weird artwork, uh, you know, there's always a chance to do stuff there too. And, and that's stuff I knew about for years and, and love. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, you mentioned Fantasia. I assume you've seen Fantasia 2000 also. Yep. I love uh, that. Now, since you saw Fantasia as a kid, I'm sure it comes from a different emotional place as far as connecting with you. But does Fantasia 2000 connect with you or inspire you in anything close to the same way? More so. Um, really? Okay. Yeah. As a kid, it was big. Cause like I said, my grandmother took me to the art gallery and then I watched a movie where the artwork came alive. Mm -hmm. So for a split second, I thought, Oh, oh wow. Magic's real. And, or I'm crazy. Um, so, <laughs> And then I, I get to be an adult and, and the first couple of months of being in LA, I got to watch that on the big screen at the, uh, is it the Chinese theater in Hollywood? And I, like by the end of it, I was in tears. I was like, it's, it's more stunning than I remembered as a kid. I may not think it's magicians creating this artwork that comes alive, but um, it's, it's a piece of art. It's not art that influences a film. It's a piece of art that literally moves on the screen. Like that's incredible. Like I make pastels and, and gouache paintings all the time and I'd give anything to see them come to life. Um, so yeah, as an adult, it's, it still has the same effect on me and I only watch it once every maybe two or three years. So it's new every time I watch it. It's a good idea. 
That's yeah. a good yeah, way to keep it fresh. I don't ever want to uh, lose that magic from that. Right. Yeah. Uh, by the way, what's what's your favorite Disney film? I don't have one. There are so many that I love for so many different reasons. Uh-huh. Uh, I, I'd be the same if you said, what's your second one? I'd be like, oh, I can't choose that. <laughs> <laughs> so I do love, uh, it seems like a lot of the people I know don't really enjoy Fantasia, and I do. I think it's a really beautiful film, and I think oh, the good. segments in it are interesting and uh, unique and tell either tell good stories or at least uh, captures some you know, really visually interesting uh, moments on the screen. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't vis- know visually it does. Yeah, I don't know that it's necessarily in my top five, but I do really like it, and I like it more sadly than I think a lot of people that I know do. Okay, well, um, fantastic. We're friends now. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> um, I've only met myself one other person that when I said, you know, what's what's an influencer? What's your favorite thing? has said Fantasia, like just one. And I, and I know a lot of people that work in this industry. And it's just a, a, a girl that I worked with uh, at Rough Draft. Um, and it's a hard thing. Not many people bring up Fantasia as a favorite. But yeah, it's just, it's a visually stunning um, movie. If there was no music attached to it, I'd still look at it and be amazed. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm a musician, so mm-hmm. I love the visual and I do love it for the music as well. Oh, me too. I mean, what great music choices. Like the, the music in that has been good for so many years and will be long after we're gone. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You, your experience with asking people what their favorite movie is and not, or the one that influenced them and very few saying Fantasia is sort of like with me. Uh, I'm a Disney movie fan, but I think I'm more of a Disney Parks fan mm-hmm. uh, marginally. And so when people want to say, what's your favorite attraction? Yep. I have the same kind of experience when I will say storybook land canal boats. Ah, and okay. almost nobody says that. No, I've never heard anyone say that. Wow. And was that, is that something that it got you as a, as a child or was it cause it, like there was so much in that ride, like story wise? Yeah. I actually didn't go to Disneyland much as a child. I went m- much more as an adult. I didn't get a chance to go much as a child, Okay, but for me, it's a combination of it being a lot of different stories. They're all encapsulated in that one ride and the detail that's involved in it. Yeah. You know, even to the extent, one of my favorites, things about it is that at Christmas to as much as possible, they will decorate each of the, the scenes appropriate to that scene for Christmas. And for the Pinocchio scene, the whole little village there is decorated for Christmas, except Geppetto's workshop. There's like a wreath on the door and a little something in the window. And that's just about it because he is a woodcarver and a toy maker. So at Christmas, he doesn't have time to decorate because he's ah. busy working to make the things for the village. So there's not much decoration in his house or you know, his workshop. detail. That's right? so cool. And so it's things like that that I love about it. And it's that it, it's the one that I think reminds me the most, with the possible exception of the railroad, uh, of Walt Disney. Because okay. miniatures were so dear to him and were such an important part of helping him deal with the stress and pressure of the studio. And it's part of, uh, it was basically kind of part of his early concept for Disneyland was going to be traveling miniatures on a train. And so seeing these miniatures there really reminds me more of Walt Disney 
than just about anything else in the park. Oh, wow. That's fantastic. So. Um, yeah, the, the whole um, the wreath thing, just that simple part. What an amazing way to get like that subtlety into the story and how to deliver that. Most people wouldn't see it, but eventually someone looks at it and they find it. And I feel like that's the best thing about that park. Like um, you can look somewhere hard enough and you'll find some tiny little detail that'll eventually make sense, but no one ever notices. Yep. I, I completely agree. Yeah. yeah. And as someone that's only got to experience it for like two years now, um, I'm amazed every time I go there. It's such an amazing place. Yeah, it really is. Okay. Uh, back to you now. <laughs> uh, a lot of people who are listening have their own dreams. You know, it might be to be a Disney artist, either freelance or traditionally employed, or it's to present at the Walt Disney Family Museum. That's one of my own dreams, incidentally, mm-hmm. is to be able to present there someday. Uh, or maybe it's something else entirely, but they're afraid. Maybe they've even forgotten that they had a dream like that once. You've worked really hard and you have pursued your dreams far more than probably most people that I know. So what advice do you have for that person? I would say, I don't know how I got to be like this, but I would say if you're afraid and it's, it's terrifying you to the point of not being able to do it, it, it's hard to get up and, and do it. But that's, that's telling you, that's the thing you have to do. Um, it, it, like whenever you're scared of something, calm yourself down. Like, you know, you don't have to sit there and be scared and, and fear it. Like go watch your favorite movie, do something to get calm, but then recognize that moment. Like those moments are, are there for a reason. Um, and for some reason, whenever something scares me, I, I, I do the same thing. I, I calm myself down. I don't want to get anxious. And eventually I'm going, why am I so scared? Like you have to take advantage of those, those moments and remember them. And I, I can pinpoint every like split second moment I had some sort of fear. Um, and I didn't try to tackle it just for that reason, but you know, usually it, it's related to your dreams and your goals and um, sit down and, and acknowledge it. I think that's the biggest thing. Acknowledge when you're scared of something because there's a reason, like it's important to you. And then I think that makes sense when you can acknowledge your fear rather than just be scared of something. Uh, you can do whatever you want. So, and I, I do that all the time. <laughs> that's really good advice. Yeah. I, I've heard somebody say once, I don't remember who it was now. They said that, uh, if you're not afraid of what you're the dream that you have, then it's not big enough. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, you, it's not going to happen all the time, but if you get to that point and, and I'm sure you've had it some point in your life too, follow it. And it might not always lead where you want, but, um, you know, I haven't achieved everything I wanted to, but they always lead me weird and wonderful places. It's just, it's a waste. Life is short. Like, you know, if you're scared of something, track it down and beat that fear into submission and get your goals. Just do it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. And uh, if, if you're going to be talking at the Disney Museum soon, let me know. I'm sure you'll achieve that too. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. So now where can people go to find out more about you and about your art? Um, this is the shameless plug time. Fantastic. Um, you can go to nickgregory.com. That's spelled N-I-C and the name gregory.com. Uh, it's just a basic site with, with my plein air painting. Uh, it shows my folio that I use for the animation industry, a little bit about myself and my, my background, what we spoke about today. Uh, and then there's links to my social media. Uh, my favorite social media to sort of send people to would be Instagram. And you just, again, type in Nick Gregory. I'll, I'll, I'll be one of the first faces that come up. You'll see my big bald head smiling at you. 
Um, and yeah, just get on there and have a look. And I'm always putting up you know, the plein air paintings of LA that I do, uh, any announcements on Disney stuff. And hopefully once this Snow White artwork gets going, um, I'll, I'll put the progress on social media as well. Okay, great. Yeah, we'll definitely follow that. And I'll put links in the show notes as well. Fantastic. Thank you. So, well, thank you so much for coming on for uh, contacting me initially and then coming on and sharing what's definitely a unique and also a fascinating and uh, inspiring story. So appreciate well, it's, it. Nick. It's a pleasure, Randy. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. And, and keep up the good work. I enjoy listening to it while I'm uh, drawing every day. Thank you. That brings us to the end of this week's show. A very special thank you to Nick Gregory for being my guest and to you for listening. If you're currently doing something because of your love for Disney, you've written a book, created a website, you're blogging, writing, or performing music, art, whatever it may be, and you want to tell people about it and why it matters to you, I want to hear from you. I also want to talk to and hear from people who've worked for Disney. And if you're a Disney guest of any Disney experience, you've had an encounter or an interaction with a cast member that made some extra Disney magic, or really if you've just had any special Disney experience you want to share, I'd love to hear from you too. For any of these, email me at podcast at storiesofthemagic.com or call the listener feedback line at 734-23-STORY and tell me about your experience, just like Nick did. Now, rather than the usual stuff I share here, this time I'd like to let you know something a little different. As you may be aware, I've written two books, and one of them, Once Upon Your Time, was recently re-released by Theme Park Press. In conjunction with that, I've also joined a speakers bureau. So if you'd like to get information on what I can offer as a speaker, and to possibly have me come speak at your event or your group, just go to storiesofthemagic.com speaking. And on there, you'll get a little bit about me, what I can offer, and part of that is talking a little bit about some of the topics that I tend to get asked to share most often. All of them have a direct Disney connection, and all of them are things that you can use right now to help you improve your daily life and to make your life better because Disney's in it, but in ways that you may have never thought of before. And if you're a podcaster who'd like to have me on your show to either talk about either of my books or just about Disneyland, send me an email or leave me a voicemail. Again, the email is podcast at storiesofthemagic.com and the listener feedback line, which is what you can use to leave me a voicemail, is 734-23-STORY. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Stories of the Magic. There will be other days and other stories, but this tale is finished. You've been listening to Stories of the Magic with Randy Crane. If you have feedback, want to share a story of your own, or even be a guest on the show, write to Randy at podcast at storiesofthemagic.com or call our listener feedback line 734-23-STORY. And don't forget to visit the website storiesofthemagic.com for show notes from this and every episode and to leave your comments. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, live your dreams and make the magic in your world.